If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. You long for a deep, fierce love, the stuff of legends. But overwhelm, fear, and doubt keep holding you back. But this is your life and your marriage. This is the legacy you will be remembered for. So we are on a mission to inspire and challenge you to live the adventure of a legendary marriage. This is episode 40 of the Legendary Marriage Podcast, and we are your hosts, Danielle and Justin Williams. This is the podcast for the couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. We know what it's like to want a great marriage, but not be sure where to start. So each week, we're bringing you inspiration, encouragement, practical ideas, and of course, a challenge that will help you build more connection and intimacy in your marriage. And we'll have a whole lot of fun and laughs along the way. Um, there was a lot of tears this week, honestly, uh, with the first week of kindergarten and it was a hurricane first week of kindergarten. (laughs) It was just a very crazy week. And, um, there was a very sad moment. Well, first of all, Allie went to school and she was so happy and she had this beaming smile on her face and she was like helping all the little crying kindergartners in her class. And I was like, so proud as a mom. I'm like, Oh, my kids like all grown up and she's doing awesome. And then on Wednesday I had to literally drag her down the hallway of the school and like throw her into her classroom to her teacher. I'm so sorry. I missed that day. Yeah. I'm sure you're really sorry that you missed it. But, um, it was one of those moments where, like, as a mom, you're like, oh, am I supposed to leave my baby here when she's, like, dying? But I knew she would be fine. You threw her to the wolves, shut the door, and ran, didn't you? Basically, because that's how I do it. And yeah. my brain knows that she's going to be fine. And she was. She was great. But yeah. it was a bit of a painful moment. A lot of tears that first week. A lot of consternation. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> I, uh, being mindful of the fact that we have so much and there are, there are thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people in Houston and uh, Rockport and Victoria. The surrounding and, area. And all along the Texas coast here that are, are really suffering. And we do want to encourage you just take a moment. And if you have not uh, donated or participated in some way, um, go to your church, go to redcross.org. Um, uh, put something in there, uh, contribute some way to that recovery, um, be a part of that story, of that comeback story. And if you need some links, look in um, episode 39, our last yeah, episode. Yeah, we'll throw We've the Red Cross link in on this episode show notes too. Um, but uh, the, all that said, um, I want to throw our refrigerator out. I wish I could take a big roll of duct tape, wrap it around the refrigerator, because that's what you're supposed to do in demo if you find a disgusting fridge. You're supposed to wrap it up with duct tape and throw it out at the curb. Yeah. That's what we came home to Yeah, after our vacation. So It was disgusting. The, uh, you know, we aren't victims of the storm by any stretch, no, but no, we came no, home no, no. to... A uh, power outage. A power outage that had left a refrigerator full of stinky, rotten meat and... And all of our kombucha brew, we had like 20 bottles of kombucha. I was looking forward to coming back, coming home and just like binging on kombucha because we didn't, (laughs) we couldn't drink it all. And now we have to start from square one. And now we're on square one again. Um, But the fridge was just rotted out and full of 
just uh, disgusting smell. It, it's it's still there. Like I've used bleach and pine saw and more bleach and more bleach and more bleach. And so if anybody has any recommendations oils, on how to get rid of nasty smell in your fridge. Or if anybody has a nice side by side fridge that they want to trade us, you know, <laughs> for a stinky fridge. If you like stinky fridge, then, you know, have we got a deal for you? <laughs> Deliveries extra. Um, I'm pretty sure nobody's taking you up on that deal. So, mm. um, in conclusion, I want to barf every time I open my fridge, but yeah. hopefully it'll get better. Honey, thanks for being my hero and really taking the bull by the horns and cleaning that out. You're my hero. Sure. I love you. Um, so interesting. I was reading this article the other day and even the title of it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. Why having children is bad for your marriage. Dun, dun, dun. I can hear all the crappy jokes. I can, I can hear all the all the jokes out there. But I feel like there was a bit of truth to it. So it's the fir- number one is satisfaction declines within your first years of marriage. Well, that's true. I think for the most part, you know, you have this honeymoon kind of phase and the newlywed kind of phase. And then it's really hard figuring out how to be married and be together yeah, and all you that start settling down. That's if you have an ordinary marriage. That's right. Not a legendary marriage. No. Um, and number two, the myth that children bring them closer together. <laughs> no, but a children lot of people- are a blessing every single time. No, they and are. Yes. They are uh, one of the greatest raising kids, taking care of kids is one of the greatest challenges to humankind, regardless of whether you're married or not. And so if you think that that bringing a child into a troubled or challenged marriage is going to make it better, you're delusional. Yeah. It just, it, it makes you have less sleep, um, more stress, yeah. more like, I mean, there's so many reasons that it just makes your life a lot more challenging. I and mean, wonderful and rich, but challenging Are and you- challenging. And challenging. Number three, interactions turn into business. <laughs> you know, I got some business I want to handle with you right now. No, that's not a do euphemism. you really have to do I, this? I, okay, I, I what's really, your business? Really you know, th- when the dishwasher is open and you have a glass and the top rack is pulled out. Honey, this is neither time nor the place. glass on the counter instead of just putting it in the dishwasher. Not the time like, or the place. I just... Okay, we'll we'll resume this conversation later. Oh, um, you bet we will. <laughs> but no, it's true. Your interactions when you have kids. I remember like week one when Allie was born. It was like, Justin, grab me a diaper. <laughs> get me a burp cloth. Please turn on the dryer. It um, clean our up this d- our couch. Deal, our deal was, Danielle, keep you and the baby alive. Yep. I will take care of everything else. Mm-hmm. And it, and and we had your mom there. Was your yeah. dad there too? Uh, probably for a little bit. Um, and it was like all hands on deck all the time. And it was just, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it was, and, and we had great friends and family bringing food and, and all kinds of stuff. And just to think of like how much like craziness that we put into that. And like, I think Caroline, we were like, yeah, she'll be fine. She's great. You know, yeah. whatever. Baby number two. It's a lot easier. <laughs> You're more chill. The baby's more chill. But no, um, you did make a deal with me that I could kind of boss you around for, you know, just letting you like 
get me the stuff. So I appreciate that. All right. And number four, the last one is you fall into the gender stereotypes with women more with the kids and dads spending more time at work because you kind of have to pick up the financial like um, missing pieces, you know, because the woman has been at work and now she's not. Um, And then the dad gets stressed out, overworked, that kind of deal. And then the woman is stressed out because she's at home and, she keeps hearing her child go, mom, 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 mom. Seriously, mom, I had mom, like a mom, snapping mom, moment mom, yesterday, mom, Justin. Mom, 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 okay, mom, I'm about to mom, snap right mom. now, please. Wow, that was that was a little extreme, honey. Okay, I'm just going to pretend that. I was the person doing that. I don't know how to play this out, honey. It's not All going right, anywhere so good. So on the show this week, what were you saying? Uh, yeah. I have nothing else to say beyond you pretending to choke yourself. Um, but, but we, you know, we all want to be great parents and we worry if we're doing the right things yeah. and um, not giving too much fodder to their uh, future therapy sessions. No, that we're all doing damage to our kids. In some just way hopefully not too much or too bad. We just bad. want to minimize it. So as it turns out, being a legendary parent may be simpler than you think. So check out our freebie, Five Practices of Legendary Parents. Check it out on legendarymarriage.com slash parents. Today on the show, we have Sarah Sherwood. Sarah is a certified life coach, spiritual director, and somatic experiencing practitioner, and she's going to be sharing about how each of us have different types of attachment styles that are formed as children, and how that attachment style affects our relationships today. Sarah empowers people in her work to live courageously and develop an inner strength so they can experience a more meaningful life. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Sarah, so glad to have you on the show today. And so you are a resilience coach. What exactly does that mean, resilience? That's a great question. What does that mean, Danielle? No, um, <laughs> no for me, identifying myself um, in, that, in that niche area for coaching is really about um, highlighting the fact that we all experience difficult things in life, um, incredible stressors, and some of us even traumatic events that really diminish um, just our capacity to fully engage with life. We may rebound from it in the sense of, you know, we bounce back and we're still, um, you know, in our life and doing good things, but the fullness of our capacity can be so impacted by that or just even chronic stress, overwhelm, um, really depleting ourselves to a place of burnout um, those kinds of things. And so I've just, um, really positioned myself from my own experience of having to rebound from, uh, over two decades of having a really debilitating environmental disease, um, and moving beyond that to have a fulfilling life to help other people do the same. So for me, resiliency is less about like, um, you know, I had this really hard experience and it's made me hard, you know, and I kind of like tattooed it across my forehead um, just to kind of prove it to myself in the world that I survived. I feel like it's more about um, being able to integrate those really difficult, hard 
um, often inexplainable things that happen to all of us and allow them to make us stronger and for our inner strength to really um, overcome. I love the way you talk about integrating it as opposed to trying to uh, dissociate it, detach it, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what so much of us end up doing or trying to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, so much of it is outside of our awareness because we don't have time to even consider it. Um, So we're just moving forward the moving, you know, moving the ball down the field, so to speak. And we're trying to get, keep our life as it is today afloat. And so the impact of some of these um, things, whether they're in the past or in the present, um, oftentimes, yeah, we just aren't even aware. Yeah. Especially if you don't have like a, a really big trauma, like you spoke to, maybe it's just chronic stress or things like that. It may not occur to you that you need to heal through something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, I, we call it, um, I call it little T trauma as opposed to, you know, capital T trauma because, um, it is actually traumatic in this way that we define what that means and how that impacts our health and our mental outlook and our emotions and our capacity to engage in relationships and even have a spiritual purpose and connection to, you know, the reason um, we are here and we exist. But um, we kind of categorize traumas as, you know, um, assault or a prisoner of war or, um, you know, um, or even just military, um, engagement and things like that. But yeah, it's the same impact just sure. in a different way. Sure. Yeah. Now you speak to, you know, these big traumatic things and a lot of people think of coaches or counselors in that type of situation really being kind of a one-on-one thing where you meet with your coach or you meet with your counselor what inspired you to start your own online coaching business well really at the root of it is i knew that people cuz well frankly the deepest um motivator is that i believe in people and i believe wholeheartedly that they are resilient. And, um, and I, so from that place, I knew that if I could not only educate, but also, um, just really support and guide people in learning the tools of how to regulate that stress response that we have in our nervous system, that they could begin to engage in life, um, just in the day to day in a new and different way, but then also really, um, rebound from some of the difficult Mm. things of the past. And so I just found that actually empowering people to um, put some skin in the game and and engage in their own process, but while also having support and accountability and a group connection that they were getting kind of the best of all possible um, engagement. And and there is a one-on-one you know, one-to-one component of what I offer. So it, mm-hmm. it's, you know, all, all inclusive as far as the support that people get. Now you spoke about the nervous system and, you know, we all have reactions to stress or to trauma or to whatever that is. How does our body like physically react 
when you're faced with whatever type of trauma? So just that that's why, you know, what I'm about to say is why little T trauma of like someone cut you off, you know, in, in, in carpool, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, versus, um, you know, really difficult things. Um, it's a similar response. It's just, you can think about it, um, that it's like the amount of gas, um, that gets, um, released as far as like the neurochemicals will be different, you know, the charge of it. And then if anything's chronic, um, then that will also have a different, a long-term long-standing impact. But what happens is our bodies get ready to defend ourselves and we have a variety of ways that we can do it. Um, very rudimentary, um, you know, very rudimentary way to talk about it is, um, we have four options. (laughs) We have fight, which, you know, is that, um, rush of, of a flush of energy where we like our jaw clenches and our fists tighten and we feel this like, you know, um, and we kind of get that look on our face and we're, we're ready to defend through either, um, dumping harsh, uh, words or, you know, being aggressive in some kind of way and just defending ourselves in that. Another one is flight, which is the impulse to move away. So we think about that as like, you know, I'm running from the tiger that is trying to attack me, but it often will show up in um, just this restlessness and this feeling of needing to isolate and retreat um, Mm. and to pull away to shut down and to like, I got to get out of here kind of feeling, you know? Mm. And so that will present in a variety of different ways. And be thinking of this as I describe this, because we're going to be talking about how this shows up right in our relationships specifically. Um, But the other, another option is, is to freeze. And this is often outside of our awareness. We don't always notice that we have had that response, but um, in the hierarchy of protection, if we can't fight and we can't flee for whatever reason, um, then we will often just kind of shut down and go numb. And, and if we think about it biologically, it's kind of like the opossum, you know, where you're like, Oh my gosh, look at that dead opossum. And you're like, ah, oh wait, <laughs> it's not dead, but it, yeah, it's, you know, it's catatonic. It, it looks, even its flesh kind of gets this cold, clammy, um, like not alive um, texture to it. And so we have that as well. And we have this analgesic effect that the freeze response will release neurochemically into our body. We just feel kind of numb and, Mm. and, and floaty or kind of shut down and heavy. But meanwhile, there's this, this um, revved up anxious or, angry or frustrated kind of, uh, synergy underneath it all. Um, and then the fourth option, which, you know, is very, very rare, um, is faint. So, um, we can, that also can be a response to protect ourselves in the nervous system. And obviously that's freeze. Um, when the, uh, bottom fell out of freeze, right. We just (laughs) dropped too fast, literally. And, um, our body will take us to defend ourselves, it'll just take us out of the environment in that way. So, 
Um, but of course, that's incredibly rare from a defense response. We, if, usually if people faint, it's just because of lack of oxygen or, you know, um, yeah. something like that. That's so, like when somebody's giving bad news or something, they say, yes. are you sitting down? Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly it. So people wow. can um, be flooded with such a rush of, you know, the subtext, if our higher brain were involved, which it's not very involved, it would be like, I can't, I can't handle this. Um, so just, you know, but most of us are walking around with a low level state of freeze. Um, life's just been hard. It's been stressful. It's been too full. I have 400 million trillion things on my plate today. And so I start to kind of brace against um, the overwhelming feeling of that so that I can push through it. Now you brought a a good point as far as marriage goes. I mean, everybody's got their own conflict, their reaction to conflict, whether it's fight or flight or freeze or whatever it is. This is something that's a common subject in marriage. It's like, how do you handle conflict? Um, But here's my question is like, how do you um, heal through that kind those kind of little T traumas or big T traumas, whether it's a knockdown drag out fight or whatever it is, how do you um, come back together after that? Okay. How do you uh, heal the impact of those reactions is what you're saying? Yeah. Um, Well, you know, we call that rupture repair in kind of the work that I do. And it's always about, um, each person being able to regulate their emotions in a healthy way. Um, and it's always through emotional bonding. So, um, I think that the way to repair from that is, um, is there's a variety of ways it would depend on the couple, obviously, but, but yeah, it's always going to be, um, being able to resonate with the other person's emotional experience and to, um, kind of own your part as well as, um, come together and through forgiveness and reconnection emotionally. But I think the way to heal that is to change the dynamic, um, you know, to not get stuck in your pattern so that like, every time we have a disagreement, you know, this is how it goes down. And then we just get really good at repairing that. You know, my vision for couples is, okay, yes, that's a good first step. But let's look at the dynamic because things are at play that feel out of awareness and implicit, meaning kind of unconscious. And so we don't always feel like we choose our reaction in those Mm. moments. And then like whatever the reaction is, has happened, it's past tense. And then we're working to get really, really good at cleaning that mess up. So really what I'd love to talk about today is the front end, you know, of getting curious about the dynamic and why there, you know, what plays into it and what's developed that and how to, how to shift those things in each of us so that we're responding to conflict in a new and different way. Sure. And we, we talk a lot about curiosity as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, 
criticism or contempt or stonewalling, defensiveness, things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, what what does it look like from from the perspective you're talking about? How do we bring curiosity in this place? Well, so I'll say that because I primarily work from um, a nervous system perspective, my belief yeah. is that when we get triggered and when we experience a stress or fear response in our nervous system, our higher brain goes offline. And curiosity is a higher brain mm. function. Mm. So um, that I'm, I'm all about triage. It's like, yes, curiosity and, and all of the things that you guys were speaking to are huge components of what I believe in and help my clients with as well. But my very matter of fact perspective is when I get stressed, my, my response is unchosen. It, it curiosity goes out the window. It's not available <laughs> at the, I'm sorry. It is. I, it's not available at the moment to be back from lunch in 15 minutes. <laughs> um, literally it takes about 20 minutes to, uh, recoup, um, from a big, chemical release. And the reason it's just survival. It's very primal. It's very much how we're designed. We have evolved a little bit, but yeah. that part of it, um, not so much. So when we get triggered, we feel unsafe in that relationship for whatever reason, um, we will go into a, a very primal defense posture to protect ourselves. And, um, and then we get behavioral patterns, you know, in that developed over time. And oftentimes we'll dismiss the signals that are letting us know that, that we're not, um, you know, we're not feeling safe or something's not right. So what, that's what I would say is, um, get curious, same thing, you know, when you're not triggered, get curious about what is happening for me what's going on? What are those relational patterns? Because they're wired in, um, into my, what's called your attachment system and your nervous system from my early experiences, um, relating. And we have a variety of relationships early on. And so things get wired in very uniquely, but very distinctly. This episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Legendary Marriage Intensive. Rediscover the heart of your marriage. If you love each other, but you've lost heart, then it's time for the Legendary Marriage Intensive. A beautiful mountain lodge, three days of clarity, purpose, adventure, and renewing your love for each other as you forge friendships and transform your marriage forever. We'll help you look at the story of your relationship with fresh eyes so that you can fall in love all over again and resolve some of those long-standing and recurring conflicts while you craft a clear, fresh vision for the next season of your marriage and your family. Oh, and you'll have some epic adventure in the mountains and a romantic night on the town. It's deep, rich learning, adventure, and plenty of laughter. That's the focus as you forge friendships and build the skills and tools to transform your marriage and your family forever. October 19th through 22nd, Breckenridge, Colorado, and we only have limited space. So find out more and apply at legendarymarriage.com slash intensive. If you have questions, email us at Danielle and Justin at legendarymarriage.com. Now back to our interview with Sarah Sherwood. 
you speak about adult attachment styles. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the, um, it's rooted in the same idea. Um, and it's just really acknowledging that, um, you know, how we experience the world around us relationally when we're little, um, determines our way of engaging. That's the most basic way to think about it. And so just kind of a umbrella overview to show there's a couple different categories. And there was a a researcher by the name of Mary Ainsworth um, years ago who did a study. They started to notice these distinct um, styles of relating in these young children. And so they started to really um, do these different studies where they would have moms with their children in a room and then the mom would leave and come back and, and they would document how the kids um, in different ways uh, reacted and responded. So what they found was, and, and some people call these different things, but this is just a basic, but the four um, basic styles are secure attachment, um, avoidant attachment, anxious ambivalent, and disorganized. And I can, if you want, I can give you just a brief little snapshot of each yeah, of, that'd be each great. Of them. Um, okay, so secure attachment is really when a child experiences behavior from a parent or a caregiver that leaves them feeling like the world is a safe and mostly predictable place. Um, that you know, when they have a need, someone responds at least like thirty-three percent of the time. No parent, you know. Um, can respond to everything, obviously, and that's not the goal. Nor is that, <laughs> no. what, yeah, nor is that what a child honestly needs. But about thirty-three percent of the time, let's say, you know, they the child looks out and has an experience of having, um, you know, that eye gaze, that connectedness, that ability to um, be scared and then be comforted. You know, to um, be hungry and be fed. Um, you know, to cry and be responded to those kinds of things. Now, is that kind of the ideal situation? Well, yeah, we all, we all are hoping for some kind of secure bond of connection. Um, and what's cool, and we can get into it in a moment is we we can, we can develop any of us, a hundred percent of us, regardless of our early experience can develop what's called earned secure attachment as adults. And, um, it's, it's malleable. It's, within the plasticity of our brain, meaning that it can change. We can create new patterns of relating. Nothing is stuck. Nothing right. is like, you know, remember that PSA in the eighties, I think where they like had an egg frying, you know, and it was like, this is your brain, you know, and this is your brain on drugs. And I learned it from watching you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, drugs, create damage to your brain. But what we didn't know then was that, um, most, um, you know, most things that are wired in even damage and even some traumatic brain injury can be repaired. So that's the hope. So yes, um, we either hope to have at least one secure, um, parent or caregiver, or even grandparent or teacher or swim coach Mm. or whatever growing up. Um, but even if we didn't, we can develop that as adults. So, you know, what happens is we, um, feel a lot of freedom as adults to engage and disengage, 
and to stay connected with the people in our lives. Um, the avoidant attachment, they um, really experience behavior from a parent or a care- caregiver that's emotionally unavailable. So their needs may be met. You know, they may um, get their lunch a nice healthy lunch packed and um, get sit down and get all their homework done. Um, They're dressed for school and have all the supplies they need and that sort of thing. But the emotional needs of the child Mm. is not attended to. Um, And not in every case are there practical needs met either. And, And sometimes it's just the, there's a void, you know, they're, they don't have parents. Um, or they lost a parent or something like that. So really what happens, if you think about it, um, if you imagine like a little stick figure person, a little child, they look out into the world to find connection and reflection in somebody else. And there's just not much there. Mm. So there might be little people, bodies, you know, they might live in a home with a bunch of people. But when they look out, they don't have someone really reflecting back to them who they are, you know, even simple things like, gosh, you, your favorite color is purple or my little pony is, is like your jam, you know, those where we start to get a sense of ourself and then that attunement and resonance of emotion. So when they express emotional distress, they'll often be told like, oh, you'll be fine. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, or just so they end up learning to dismiss their feelings um, in a pretty significant way, and so they have this feeling of being alone on an island, kind of looking out, asking, you know, is anyone out there? Can anyone see me? Um, and so they make a decision pretty early on that they have to meet their own needs, and the best thing to do is to not have them. And mm-hmm. so instead of really attuning to their own emotions, they ignore them and find different ways to cope with them. And so when we, when an avoidant child grows up, they become more dismissive, um, of their own experience. And so they'll be more in their, a little bit more in their left brain, focused on the future. Um, and they appear really put together, really kind, really available to like, um, periphery or superficial social interactions, but if you start to move toward them for deeper, intimate connection, then they move away. Um, the anxious ambivalent um, is someone who experiences behavior from a parent or caregiver that is like an either invasive or inconsistent. And these are usually children who need to um, make, uh, attune to the need of the parent or caregiver. So maybe they have a mom who's anxious or, um, has a personality disorder. I see this a lot, you know, someone, uh, a parent who really sucks up all the oxygen in the room and needs the child to make the parent feel better. Um, or they just get really inconsistent responses. So sometimes the parent misattunes to what the child needs. Mm. Um, but what ends up happening is, the way to um, cope with that, you know, this kind of unpredictability that the child experiences, which really creates anxiety and 
uncertainty and this push-pull response as the child becomes an adult that really is um, there to meet the needs of everyone else so that they can feel better. So they really, that becomes their go-to behavior to calm their nervous system down. So these adults um, become really... pleasers or... Yeah, really preoccupied, the rescuers, the people pleasers, the people that give, 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 but then kind of potentially resent it, right? Um, Because they're doing it in a primal, like primarily to, so that they can be okay. So the mantra for for these people that I work with, it's like, um, like that I need you to be okay so that I can be okay. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And then lastly, the disorganized, um, you know, is a little bit different in our conversation and we won't dive too deeply into it because it is less common as well as needs more highly specialized um, attention. But it's people who experience behavior from a parent or caregiver that's frightening, um, disorienting, harmful, hurtful. And it really creates this fragmented fragmented experience because the adult figure who's supposed to protect them is the one who's intending harm. And so this can get really confusing and it creates a lot of um, unresolved pain in adults as well as just this feeling of like, come close, go away, come close, go away, come close, go away in their relationships. Um, And they just can feel really disjointed in that way. So um, that's just a, high level overview. But the reason we're talking about it is because each of us can have a primary style. And even though, you know, on Friday, it's like, I'm exhibiting behaviors of being a little bit more avoidant. And then on Sunday, you know, I'm right. I'm sure there's mixes of them. Yeah, there's a mix, but you'll have kind of a primary way. And what's so awesome is when I realized that these are just this isn't because I'm a jerk or I'm a bad partner or I um, don't know how to love people or um, I always get my feelings hurt or, um, you know, I, I hurt people because I, I just like stonewall them and move away. It's understanding that these got developed when I was not choosing to develop myself in this way so that I felt safe um, relationally in my world. So what's empowering about that is we can then begin to look at what are those behaviors? What are the behavior patterns? And then how do I work to develop new ones that are secure? I'm sure it's pretty easy for a lot of our couples out there to say, oh, I'm this one and my spouse is this one. So if they're able to kind of identify what style they fit into, how does that, um, how does that uh, help in your day-to-day interactions with your spouse? It, it's incredibly helpful, um, number one, to commit to understanding this a little bit deeper together. And I'll give you guys some resource around that because when you understand where someone else is coming from, what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, then you can just have a more compassionate understanding. And what I find is that then it really empowers couples to get truly curious around that, knowing that 
they actually have different needs of connecting. Now, is there more challenging combinations to have together or is it easier if you both kind of come from the same style? Well, um, I hate saying this, but yes, there are. Um, the avoidant um, anxious tend to gravitate toward one another and it's the most challenging combination because the um, anxious uh, ambivalent, they're... Um, protest behavior is what it's called is kind of like needing to touch in and, and be reassured, um, too much, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and then the avoidant, that's a trigger for them. They feel, uh, uncomfortable and they start to feel stress, uh, in their nervous system when someone's like, are we okay? Are you okay? How are you doing? Are you doing okay? You didn't text me back in, you know, 27 seconds. Um, and so they start to pull away and retreat and then that makes the person more anxious. And so they move toward that person and then that makes the avoidant more stressed. And so they move away and they end up chasing each other like around in circles, you know, or, so that's the most challenging. Um, but an avoidant and an avoidant, it's not likely that they would get together because there's no glue in the relationship. So that's actually why, you know, anxious ambivalent are very um, relationship oriented and they're, they're much more motivated to work on their relationship, to be engaged in their relationship, to make it healthier and make it better. And so that's often why um, they come together, but you know, secure in combination with any of the, any of the other two can definitely, um, bring or other three, I should say, bring congruence and health, but it doesn't matter. Like you could have the most classic avoidant, anxious, ambivalent, um, pattern, and you both can develop earned secure attachment with each other. You just have to understand where each other's coming from and and do some of the hard work of changing those patterns. Wow, Sarah, there's so much, so much there and so much insight that I feel like we can have a peel back a whole different layer of understanding our spouse with all you've shared with us. And, um, I, man, I just love that. And I hope our audience does too. I, I'm very curious to hear the, um, resources that you have, which we'll also have in the show notes. And also if our viewers, um, want to find you and, you know, connect with you, how, what are all those different resources and, um, sites that you have, how can we find you? Yeah. Well, I think a great next step, um, well, there's two pieces to it that I would recommend for every couple, even if you think that you guys are like killing it, jamming in the area of, of connection and communication. Um, I know it will take you deeper. There's a really great attachment style assessment that you can do online. So it's super easy. Um, and it's too long of a URL just to share this way. So we'll, if you, we'll just put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look in the show notes, but it's actually at uh, Diane pool Heller's website. And she's one of my mentors and trainers in um, working with the nervous system around uh, relational connection. So her website will be a treasure trove of information as well as we'll give a link to the attachment quiz. So you take that and then it's a conversation starter. You'll start to understand a little bit more about um, what that is and where you're coming from. And then there's an incredible book 
called Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson. And um, I think the subtitle is Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love. And her, um, her uh, therapy is called Emotionally Focused Therapy, EFT. And it's brilliant how she's taken attachment, um, adult attachment uh, styles and incorporated it into a, a new way of relating and learning how to do that. And what I love about this resource is it's incredibly practical. So it's literally seven conversations that she shows you how to explore this and then what to explore within yourself and then how to bring that together with your spouse to have a conversation. Mm. And there's, it's um, really specific and really supportive. So I think uh, literally every couple should um, in, um, explore doing those uh, two things together just to deepen their awareness. And then, um, yeah, we'll have links and connection to me if anyone wants to reach out to have a, a conversation or um, get some support as well. Yes. And we'll have all the links for Sarah on uh, Facebook and all her social media. And she's got some, a cool webinar coming out with um, a video about, tell me a little bit about your, your webinar video. Yeah, this, this webinar training is really about looking at um, how to cut overwhelm and um, increase our productivity, uh, not just in, you know, getting your task list done, but in health and relationships and our work in the world and, and those kinds of things. And it's a, you know, it's a little bit different than you might think. And it's utilizing some of this perspective on managing our energy, um, as it relates to stress and, um, overwhelm as opposed to just another productivity tool to try to manage our time. Right. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for being on the show today. Thank you, guys. It's super fun. So the cool thing about all the knowledge that Sarah drops is that everybody can achieve that secure kind of attachment place. Yeah. Nobody's a lost cause. Nobody's too far gone. Um, And the beautiful thing is marriage is this great context for doing the work to create that secure attachment. Well, see, that's the key is the work piece too. Yeah. It's not like you just wave a magic wand and you're like, I'm secure now. <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. No. But it's cool when um, when you are individually doing the work of being healthy um, and your spouse is doing the same thing, then how much better is your marriage going to be when each person works on themselves? Yeah, I, I think... This is if the one thing that I take away from this this whole episode is do your work. Mm-hmm. Um, understand you have attachment styles, you have hurts and wounds and experiences that have shaped you as a human being, as a man or a woman, and um, these things affect how you live and love and lead your family, your business, your your work, and yourself. And if you don't do the work to understand where those, where those broken pieces are mm-hmm. and to do the reintegrative, restorative work, uh, restoring your heart, um, those hurt, wound, broken places will run your life. We call it a shadow. Like it's, it's not evil. It, it, it's, right. Its intent isn't to destroy your life, but it, it ends up that way. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of runs rampant. 
if you don't do the work. Well, and the cool thing is too, is like just being a student of your spouse. Like I had some aha moments when she was talking about the different attachment styles because I was like, oh, that's why Justin does this or that's why I do that because um, we're too... we are, we have two different attachment styles. And so a lot of times you'll do something, you'll have a reaction that it just does not compute to me. Like, I'm just like, what, why would you even react that way? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you have the same things about me. Um, but so cool when you can just learn. I understand everything you do and say. Yes. You have your PhD in Danielle. Sure. That sounds great. I like that. Yeah. And when she talked about the freeze, (laughs) the flight, fight, freeze, or faint, um, I find myself being very foggy sometimes. And it made sense to me when she talked about the freeze mode thing. Sure. I think I am one of those people that just carries on a low level of freeze. And sometimes I'm just like, come on, Danielle, why can't you think? Yeah. Like, plus play, be creative, think, you know, function. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, am I sleepwalking or what? It's not that easy, though. No. Because there are all these factors at work. And, you know, so again, it's just, it's about doing the work, having patience. And marriage is a great container for that work. Because you have somebody there who's job as a spouse in Mm -hmm. part is to reflect back to you what they're witnessing in you and to call you forth. Yeah. I liked how, what Sarah said about when, as a little kid, you're looking out to, um, have someone reflect back to you and that's what your spouse is. Yeah. Love it. It's a great, beautiful, messy, ugly, terrifying, wonderful privilege. Yeah, so my challenge to you as the listeners, and you know, we'll do this as well, is just take that attachment quiz that Sarah talked about, and we'll include that in the show notes, and get with your spouse and have a conversation about the results. Sure. Yeah, and then just come and join the conversation in our free Facebook community. It's a private group for men and women to support, encourage, inspire, and share about transforming marriage, going from ordinary to legendary. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Legendary Marriage Group or visit us at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash zero four zero. So don't forget to jump on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.